The paradox is then, why do we say that we're animal lovers while we still eat animals? So hello and welcome to episode um, seven of the Amprozoology podcast. And today we're going to discuss meat eating and veganism and um, what is known as the, the meat paradox. So my name is Chris. I'm a PhD student um, um, at the University of Exeter and my research um, looks at cat-human relationships and social discourses surrounding free-roaming cats. Hi, my name's Sarah. I'm also at the University of Exeter and I'm a PhD student looking at uh, shark-human interactions. Hi, I'm Michelle. I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Exeter and my research takes me to Nepal where I study human-elephant interactions and captive elephant health and welfare. I'm also a teacher at Beacon College in Leesburg, Florida. Hello, I'm Brian Cushing. I am an instructor uh, with Michelle in the Anthrozoology program uh, at Beacon College. Hi, I'm Linda Korenbukas, a former master's student at University of Exeter. I'm now an independent scholar. Uh, Editor-in-Chief of the Student Journal of Vegan Sociology and I teach sociology at West Lothian College in Scotland. So part of our discussion today is on the meat paradox and Linda has written a paper called the Peppa Pig Paradox uh, talking about children's perceptions of animals in cartoons and meat eating. Linda do you want to tell us a little bit about your paper? Yeah, I wish I hadn't put so much alliteration in it now. I have to talk about it so much. <laughs> but yeah, the, the Peppa Pig paradox is based on uh, Lochner and others' meat paradox, which is now about a decade old, the, the paper, um, which discussed the the uh, divisions between um, our behaviour and our belief systems. So we might believe that certain animals are for certain purposes, pets or entertainment or what have you and then other animals are for eating so that's about categorization essentially the paradox is then why do we say that we're animal lovers while we still eat animals albeit that they're different species so all i did really um and it had been hinted at in a couple of different um other papers all i did was say well that's maybe you can understand if you've been socialized children been socialized into accepting that different animals belong or have different purposes for humans which is obviously part of the problems that we have um but what if it's the same animal what if it's the same species so um at the time my daughter was four I think we was I was doing one of the modules on the master's program in anthrozoology and I got an opportunity either just to, to to write something about I was actually quite annoyed at Peppa Pig at the time it probably had more of it to do with it but we were at a show there's kids going to see Peppa Pig Love you know all their stuff all dressed up and buying things in the in the foyer of the theater and stuff it's a live show and um and then they were eating ham salads and sandwiches and things and I thought this seems a little bit odd not long after that there was a, a cinema experience um came out and there's the kids again loving Peppa Pig talking to the Peppa Pig dressed up woman man could be I'm not sure in the foyer and then going and ordering a hot dog on the way in to watch the Peppa Pig experience. So this was just getting, I just wondered, I understand the paradox. It's quite straightforward. We're a nation of animal lovers, but only certain animals 
current kind of furore about horse milk again it's happening again people are going oh that's disgusting it's a mammal we're taking its milk to drink it's the same thing as a cow or whatever um but when it's the same animal it just seems really bizarre so my paper just looks at investigating all the different reasons that that these things might be possible most of it comes down to socialization and i settled on really a um what's called strategic ignorance um where it's just easier. It's easier for parents not to be as honest with kids um, because they know what kids would do a lot of the time, right? Kids are kind, kids have compassion, mostly. I don't want to get into, I suppose, a biological debate. I'm not sure, maybe there's, maybe that's not true, but um, I think kids have a tendency to want to be kind to animals um, and yet they're fed them on a sometimes daily basis. So that's really what I was looking at. And uh, I don't... <laughs> That maybe was a bit of a longer explanation than necessary, but um, that's ultimately um, what the paper is about. Yeah, it's it's interesting you you mentioned strategic ignorance because I think on my own part I um, I, I yeah engage in that. Um, so I, I've been a vegetarian since I was about thirteen. Um, I'm a, I wouldn't call myself a vegan because I keep falling off the wagon. It, it's it's almost like I, I justify it. It's like I I really do have issues with um, the dairy industry mm. um, and a, and a little bit with. Um, um, the egg industry so I, I have issues but also it's kind of hard being vegan and um, yeah I, I recognize it in myself I, I want to believe in like the happy cows and the, the happy hens oh, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I think so I, I actually wrote a paper that should, um, will be coming out next month that looks at how um, hen, hens are represented on egg boxes so and it, it feeds into this this belief people want to have that in, in happy hands and ethical um, farming. Yeah. Um, so so there's, there's a market there because people, nobody wants to believe that they're, um, yeah, immoral or, um, and, and I think it's a lot easier with um, animal products than actually, than with meat because there's no killing involved. And, and I recognize in my own psychology that that's how I justify it. It's mm. like, you don't need to kill anybody for milk and eggs. So, um, and yeah, a lot of it is that I put my head in the sand and, and I'll, I'll confess that. And Yeah, but um, you know what? Recognising it's half the battle. A lot of people are doing this stuff and it's so subconscious, they don't even realise. So um, I guess at, at the end of my paper, what I'm trying to do, I'm glad to hear that's coming out, by the way, because that's the kind of thing that annoys me. Every time I see an advert for the Happy Egg Company, I'm shouting at the telly. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say what I say because um, it would probably not be allowed to be broadcast, but... Yeah, it's, it's easier. It's just easier for everyone if you've been if you've got habits and you also, I think back to what I was um, fed when I was younger. It wasn't even meat. Something it was really process, highly processed food too. Um, so there's all the kind of elements of addiction to salt and sugar and the 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 casein. Um, it's just um, it's easier. It's much much easier. And I, I'm not sure that being vegan is is diff as difficult now as it as it certainly was when I first went vegan. Um, I became a better cook because of it, so that's something. But I think it's probably now easier now than ever before. I thought it was interesting in your paper where you wrote that um, people, uh, some people believe that um, raising your child vegan means that you're forcing your beliefs upon mm. um, your child or who, you know whoever's yeah. raising their children. But and as you say, it seems so, it's such the norm that kids are made or or kids eat meat that 
that is not considered forcing I know. on children. Do you want to say a bit more about that? Yeah, well, that's basically what I came, we came to. And it's interesting because actually the discussion that I had, I wasn't even a parent at that point. <laughs> it was before that. I just was in the lunchroom, there I am with my hummus and cucumber sandwich or something. And I remember getting the kind of, oh, what have you got today kind of question. I thought, yeah, see if you really want to know that, I'm happy to share my lunch with you. But um, yeah, we had this, this bizarre discussion um, where it was, yeah, you're, you're, you can't force your views on your children like that. And this person was particularly heavily religious, I was aware of. And I said, I said but everyone forces their views on their kids. Me eating was forced on me, not against my will. I ate it. I didn't. I wasn't going like, no, I don't want it. And I was being, you know, force fed or anything. So, but that was the kind of implication. And I thought, surely, whatever every parent wants to do the right thing for their kids, and whatever they do practically, whether it's about religion, whether it's about diet, whether it's about healthy, you know, exercise, whatever, everyone does what they think is the best thing. So it isn't any different. But somehow it's demonised, and there's a lot of papers talking about how veganism is is um, stigmatised in a lot of different ways. Um, and I suppose ultimately, though, the World Health Organization, the British Dietetic Association, all these different experts are quite happy that a vegan, a plant-based diet certainly is is absolutely super healthy, as healthy as any other, if not more so. So, for people to have an issue with it, I just found really really fascinating and actually that that particular um colleague didn't speak to me for some time after that oh, okay. um, yeah yeah because it became a, it became more of a table discussion than just her and I and and then um, and people could see what I was trying to say which was her force and her religion was uh, on her kids was the same I wasn't having a go at the religion no. I was just trying to make the comparison but yeah it's so norm normative people don't even question they only question something that seems to be deviant and veganism still is counted as that, unfortunately. It, it did make me wonder that maybe we should allow kids to eat what they want. And of course, people would say immediately no, because all they would eat was spaghetti and ketchup or something like that. But, you know, there does seem to be a lack of agency for kids to decide, you know. Um, <clears throat> and I don't know if there are any studies done where kids are allowed to choose between a vegan meal, a vegetarian meal and a meat meal. Do you, do you know any of those? Mm, no, I don't know about any of it. Well, it depends on what age of children you're talking about as well. Because yeah. yeah. you got to remember, I suppose, I mean, up to a certain point, they couldn't have any agency. Yeah. yeah. So I suppose it's maybe even the same argument about, you know, whether breast is best. You know, m mothers make a decision um, either consciously or because of some other, you know, medical issue or something in terms of feeding their kids, whether or not they breastfeed or whether they bottle feed. So, so decisions are already made for kids. Mm. In fact, before they're born, what a mother's eating while she's pregnant, yeah. for yeah. example, can can have an effect on on the child. So, um, or not eating or drinking or what have you, right? So, I don't know if it's appropriate for kids to have agency up to a point. But I do think that it's important that parents have responsibility and that doesn't always follow. And if, you, if you've been taught that this is the best thing to do and that meat's healthy and, and it's necessary, then, and that's what the Meat Paradox talks, talks about and Melanie Joy's work about why we eat pigs, wear cows, love dogs, one of those or in, in some order. <laughs> the thing is just, it's like, that's just what we do. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> well, it's been interesting. I have a grandson and uh, my daughter is a vegetarian and has been a vegetarian for probably since she was about 10 or 11. Wow. Uh, and uh, she chose to do that back when I was a vegetarian. 
And she's faced a lot of um, difficulties with her son because she also has a lot of food allergies. And my other daughter has severe food allergies. And so in an attempt to uh, prevent her son from having food allergies, she has offered him um, meat, different meat products to Mm -hmm. try to build his, his tolerance. And it's been very difficult on her to, to say, I mean, she would like to raise him as a vegetarian. Um, Her husband's not a vegetarian, but uh, you know, it's been that balance between, you know, the morals and the knowing what it was like to live with these food allergies. Mm. Uh, So she's trying to balance that, but, but maybe more interestingly is she uh, does a lot of research. She's a researcher and she has found so many links between early childhood sugar exposure and future uh, weight gain and um, mm. tendency toward diabetes that sure. she has opted not to give him any sugar before too. And you would think that um, she has decided to, you know, <laughs> deprive him of life his feet or something. The way people react to that, they just simply yeah. cannot believe that you yeah. would withhold sugar from your child until they're two, but mm-hmm. there's no desire to eat. Yeah. There is no craving for sugar. You know, it's a, it's not like he's going to the cabinet and asking for cookies. He has no interest yeah. in that. So if you've never that's... tasted that, you don't miss it, do you? You're not going to know. And actually, <laughs> processed sugar in particular is awful. Refined sugar mm-hmm. is terrible. Natural sugars in fruit and some vegetables, fine. You know, but I did the same with my. Unfortunately, we did introduce uh, vegan chocolate. Probably, <laughs> I should have just left it. But anyway, now it's like a. Oh, please, I've not had anything naughty all week. If I just said that this morning, I've been really good. Michelle, we we argue about these things. You know, we judge people based on what they feed their children, even if they're trying to be healthier. Michelle, can I I ask about the allergies? Why did did, um, your daughter particularly think it was lack of meat that had created allergies in herself? Was she told that as a doctor? By a doctor no, no, and it wasn't the lack of meat. It was just exposure to everything. Um, oh. Introducing, so she had to do single food introductions, and then she had to do them for a week at a time. And they just recommended that he get exposed, you know, in a certain order to essentially everything that he mm. might run into in his life, so that he could, you know, not end up with food allergies. And he's uh, 20 months and has no food allergies. And and both my children, especially my younger one, were severely um, impacted by food allergies. So it sounds like an unfortunate coincidence more than anything else, doesn't it? it I mean, I, I know really when does. when we moved off, um, you know, I stopped feeding Maya myself. She was about six or seven months, um, just out of sheer exha- exhaustion more than anything else. But um, there was only a few soya formulas at that point, and I was really um, uh, frowned upon for even just thinking about that stuff while she was so young. Mm-hmm because of a potential link with soya allergy and whatnot. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, okay, but dairy allergies much more prevalent than soy allergies. Well, so like, I'd rather take the, you know, I just don't want her ingesting that. Right. Rubbish. Well, my younger one was actually allergic to breast milk. So she was really? at three. Yeah. Oh yeah. She had serious problems. And at about three months is when they diagnosed her. And wow. so we had to switch to formula. And so I had to face the, the militant breastfeeding group of people oh, yeah. and say well yeah I, I would like to breastfeed I can't because it will kill my child um, wow. but yeah putting putting those she actually had to have a specialized formula that was made for children with cystic fibrosis it's all pre-digested okay um, and so yeah but there was again that 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 pressure from yeah, from huge. outside that like we were doing the wrong thing or yeah it's just interesting to me that we've so normalized like the sugar that mm. that, that uh, nobody even 
thinks about it. No, I watched a program um, called I think it was called The Truth About Sugar, and the opening the opening five minutes was this little kid who didn't even have his his um, he still had his baby teeth getting extractions because of the Coca Cola. It was uh, sorry, other brands of cola are purely available, but it was in a, a so called developing country where um, some of these big brands had managed to get in and pers- persuade people that to put it in a bottle that was healthful. Just, you know, people will fall for the right marketing will make us do anything, right? Anyway, sorry, I'm chatting too much here. <laughs> Brian's very quiet. What do you think, Brian? I'm always quiet. Um, <laughs> I think a couple of interesting things, uh, something Michelle mentioned before, this idea of, and I think the whole conversation, but, you know, when something deviates off the norm, it I think it makes people sometimes feel like, am I doing the wrong thing? So let me be super aggressive and, and mm-hmm. criticize you for, you know, choosing to do something different. Um, I don't think it necessarily comes from a bad place. I think it comes from a vulnerable place as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just, it honestly makes me sad that it's so hard just to have conversations without, you know, it turning into a debate or, you know, people feeling like they're being attacked um, especially when it comes to, you know, how you feed your children. Um, and I just don't think there's a lot of enough education out there, um, especially, you know, we think about doctors and, you know, the amount of nutrition they get is like minimal, apparently, um, which is really disturbing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like so many of our problems come from food, our health issues and things like that. The so the sh- yeah. Sugar addiction, um, you know, milk. I was addicted to milk growing up. It was like water to me. Mm-hmm. Um my mom would buy me my own gallons because I would drink everyone else's milk. Um, And it was just, I I would wake up in the middle of the night instead of getting a glass of water, I'd get a glass of milk. Um, Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was definitely an addiction for sure. It's major. And I think it's important what you say there about it being as a defensive position that people take. And the very fact that someone is different challenges someone else's norm. Right. So, and that's the same for anything, not even just about the food you eat, but, the very fact, I know it's happened to me a lot and that example at work was just one where I think people assume that I'm judging them because I've made an ethical decision. So, and it always comes out because there's food, well, not so much recently, we've all been stuck in the house, but if you're somewhere and you're eating and then you're like, you're the token vegan, blah, blah, and then you have to have that conversation when you just want to have something to eat. Um, but I think people then start to just imagine straight away, again, to do with the stigma and the kind of stereotyping of veganism. That, that somehow you're then judging them and rather than deal with that the defences come up and yeah it's really sad I agree I think it's really a shame that people um, are put in a position where they're they're so protective over something that they've they feel they've chosen but they didn't choose right society picked it and that's why um, that's why there's vegan sociology now that's why anthrozoology has got so much to do with this right Um we can't change what's happening to the animals in the world until we start altering what we think is normal, whether that's elephants or sharks or cats or <laughs> right or just a steak or an egg, egg and chips or whatever it is. So yeah, it's a shame. Uh, absolutely, I wanted to um, ask Brian about conservation and. Um, I was thinking about the, the obviously the meat paradox, and I was wondering if there's like a conservation meat paradox. Are conservationists generally vegan? And if not, why not? And how is that justified? Because I was ha- looking today about um, 
the amount of land use for livestock production, the amount of water use, etc., loss of biodiversity, specifically beef um, production related to the tropics, the Amazon rainforest being cut down. So I wanted to ask what, how, whether you come across conservationists talking about veganism, being defensive, not being defensive, changing to veganism, and if you know anything about that. Yeah, I, I can't really say for sure, but, you know, just in like, you know, anecdotally, like I don't really see it come up that often. I think it usually really comes from a place from like a vegan perspective or a vegetarian perspective, um, you know, and I just think about like conferences, um, whether it was about, you know, wildlife, anthrozoology, um, companion animals. I mean, they serve tons of meat dishes mm. at, at these conferences. And I think that kind of, you know, uh, lends itself to the, the idea of the paradox as well that, you know, we talk about this stuff, talk about saving the environment, wildlife, habitat, um, but let's serve, you know, hamburgers and hot dogs and, you know, um, which I understand it, it's tough, you know, it's expensive to probably get vegan catering and, and things like that. And you want to appeal to people, especially if you're trying to raise money. Um, but, you know, we, we have to look at it. We have to at least just acknowledge it. Absolutely. Yeah, um, for sure. Do, do either of you know anybody, does anybody know of any conservation groups that are fully vegan? No, not fully vegan ones. I'll, maybe, maybe there are some. It's, yeah. it's been my experience, certainly, that a lot of, even our local cats protection branch would have, um, you know, meat sandwiches at their um, AGMs or meetings and things. So, but I, again, I think that's down to this labelling of what's appropriate at what point in time. And even when I ran an alliance of animal rights groups in Scotland, and I'm I'm talking about the length and breadth, mostly central Scotland, but there were people coming out on animal rights demos who weren't vegan. And I didn't understand it. But then I, that was my ignorance too. It was my um, naivety thinking, you know, I'd, again, going back to, there was a leaflet that I picked up. I've been speaking about it recently. I was picked up a leaflet, a, a Greenpeace stall it was actually. I'm presuming that person was vegan now in hindsight because I now know that the leaflets they had were vegan group leaflets it was a viva leaflet I think or animal aid or something and I had to cut the little thing out the back and break my name and address and post it wait for the stuff to arrive back at the house so I mean I went vegetarian on the spot but I still didn't really understand about the plight of dairy calves in particular and I loved cows um so this stuff arrived and I went vegan and I naively thought that all I had to do was tell other people because I didn't know and now I knew so now I just tell other people and then they'll know what a fool that I was. <laughs> so I became Mrs. Unpopular very quickly. And, and I was a bit angry and kind of shouty and whatnot. And I just I just thought I'd, I just had to tell people. And, and But this stuff is so ingrained. And I, even if it isn't in the conservation movement or um, if it's, uh, you know, domesticated animal campaigners or welfare campaigners, even in a, um, when I worked for a local animal protection group in Scotland, um, I think I was, I think there was, we were a minority of the vegans in the in the organisation. And we campaigned against fox hunting, hair coursing, we were part of the US uh, hedgehog relocation programme when they were being eaten by ground, uh, so the hedgehogs were eating the ground nesting birds, um, oh, all the things that we did, but, and then it was like, well, maybe we could do a meat-free Monday. Like, Really, is that the best we've got? Yeah. And we're supposed to be the animal people. And if we can't even be vegan. But then I think there's a difference as well, which is probably important to say. There's a really distinct difference between being plant-based in terms of your diet and being a vegan in terms of, I think that's much more a, an ethical 
lifestyle. And that's why I'm, I'm not a PhD candidate quite yet. I'm just about there. I've been accepted. I just haven't started yet. But I'm going to be looking at vegan children and, and what their experience is like. Those Now there are some. There's more than just, you know, a couple, my daughter being one of them. Um, what's it like for them when they're out and about and, and, and they're meeting other kids who have got pets but who still eat like a ham sandwich at lunchtime? What the, what's that experience like when they're in the classroom and they're having these... These are farm animals, not farmed, farm. These are farm animals. These are zoo animals. These ones give us milk. These ones give us wool. These ones give us eggs. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> this kind of, and I'm not, I don't want to appear patronizing, but it's, but it's really, it's so ingrained that nobody questions that. So that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, this well, needs to be challenged. Sorry, Michelle. Well, I just want to flip the, flip that on its head for a minute because okay. I was reading this really interesting article that actually I found quite humorous um, because it actually was based on Tom Regan, uh, you know, animal rights, mm -hmm. um, his least harm principle, you know, that we should minimize harm to, to the, the animals. That's why we should adopt a vegan diet. Mm. Uh, and so what uh, this is um, SL Davies came out in about 2003 what he did is he measured the amount of animals that were killed to produce a vegan diet. And people uh -huh. of course said, what do you mean animals killed? Well, there's a lot of unintentional death uh, associated. Insecticides and stuff. Is that what he was talking about? Well, yeah. well insecticides, um, decapitated rabbits in the field, um, voles being killed. And they actually estimated that um, to produce a vegan diet for everyone for the USA would still kill about 1.8 billion animals a year right. um, because of our current farming processes. So what he said, he actually, you know, crunched the numbers to see what would be the most humane way working off of um, Reagan's least harm principle. What would be the most ethical way mm. to feed in this case, the United States. And what he came up with that would be that um, fewer animals would, would, would be killed. Like almost like half a billion fewer animals would be killed. If, we ate large herbivores only. So if we stuck to uh, cows, um, especially, um, yeah, well, especially cows, we would actually save a half a billion animals a year more than having a vegan diet. So I'm just curious to get, uh, you know, Brian and Linda's kind of take mm -hmm. on that. And, you know, if you're looking at it truly from an animal harm standpoint, and, and mm. of course we have to consider intention. We intentionally kill um, farmed animals and we, we accidentally kill animals for, for vegan food. Mm. What's your take on that? You know, is it worth uh, examining um, this least harm principle? I think you could. I mean, certainly that's that same. Um, when I did my philosophy degree, this utilitarian, you know, greatest, greatest harm, greatest happiness mm -hmm. versus mm -hmm. least harm. Um, I, uh, I think I started with that, so I agree with the, that kind of idea. Um, I think accidental death in the process of you get that thing about is it the avocado argument that avocados are more mm. harmful than therefore we that that justifies somebody else eating you know pigs that, that kind of thing because I would imagine in fact I know for sure if you you compare the the vegan 1.8 billion or whatever that figure was with how many animals are killed when people eat meat generally whether it's pigs or chicken or fit and that's fishes and they're just they don't even measured as individuals they're measured by the ton so um, i'm pretty sure that 
that that would be better. But yeah, I was at a, a talk recently. I'm going to be writing a review about it about um, what's the best diet for our health for the planet for animals, mm-hmm. and that's a kind of similar thing. This large large cow eating thing is uh, apparently going to be less harmful overall. But I think you know there's all sorts of other ways of of doing things. There are ways of um, manufacturing plants without it having to be in a field that requires insecticides or large combine harvesters and I think we just need to rethink things but I understand the argument I do I think his numbers he came up with if we if we fed only large ruminants we Mm. would um we would have to slaughter 1.3 billion animals a year okay as opposed to the 1.8 but feed the what feed the what Michelle because the U.S. the U.S. what feed the what because you're talking about, um, I don't know if Brian's going to mention something like this. Maybe Brian wants to go first because I have a response to your question. <laughs> um, are, yeah, so I have, a, you know, I think it's different. I think it's different for every person who's vegan, you know, why they're vegan, how, why they went vegan. Um, I'm really interested in that idea because I like this idea of like the degree to which you impact as an individual kind of versus looking at the masses Mm -hmm. Um, because you could have someone who lives on a farm, right? They eat their own animals, they grow their own vegetables versus say like a vegan who eats a highly processed diet, you know, with tons of plastic wrapped food, um, the energy that goes into making that food. I I wish it was easier to come up with those formulas to kind of measure (laughs) for the individual because it's really complex. It's, it's, there's just so many factors that go into it. Um, and then, you know, the idea of, you know, growing vegetables and stuff. And I don't know if this is what Sarah was going towards, but, you know, feeding the cows that we are growing, right. They need crops. Um, so those things will still be happening, um, you know, regardless. Um, but I think it's, I think it's a fair conversation to look Mm -hmm. at, you know, how are you as an individual? What is your kind of like, um, you know, we can look at, I guess, ecological footprint is a good way, um, but yeah, I'm always interested in that. And, you know, could you have a meat eater who's more sustainable than a vegan? Do we call it a paw print then? Carbon paw print. Well, like he was <laughs> he was mentioning in the article that it is um, you know, it's production of, of forage, meaning you would need pasture-based forage for your large ruminants mm. so that they would go graze, and that's a more efficient way. So in, in other words, part of the problem is cutting down your tractor and, and equipment use because yeah. that's what kills the animals. Yeah. So, yeah, I get that argument. I suppose my, my, my ethics are more I've developed across time, to be honest. First of all, it was just like, Oh, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't be a part of this. And, and, and I'm now, it's much more about just the principle of taking something that doesn't belong to me. Um, whatever that is, whether it's the animal themselves or something that we think that they give us. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a, it's, it's very complex, Brian. You're absolutely right. There's so many things to measure within this. And then it's human measurements as well on top of everything, isn't it? Uh, what do we value as, you know, what do we measure as harm? And what's this harm over that harm? And that kind of thing. So it gets very complicated very quickly to try and, and um, engage, I suppose. I don't have an answer, I guess, is my answer. <laughs> I'm just curious if you would change, you know, if, if and maybe everybody can answer this, you know, if we could um, conclusively prove that eating uh, large ruminants was better, mm. saved more animals every year, then would you do it? Would you then, would that change, would that influence your decision in any way, do you think? That's a good question, but my instinct, I was already shaking my head before you'd even asked the question, just not, I don't know, but maybe, maybe I think it would sway some people. If their reason for going vegan is environmental, 
if their reason for going vegan is philosophical in terms of you know utilitarianism but it's so ingrained the, the very idea of eating flesh um, nauseates me and and i i can't eat some of these new burgers that come out that people are all like oh we found this like vegan burger you have to try it and i'm like no i'm gonna hate it <laughs> like the, the whole idea um and i mean i used to eat chicken as a little kid and i mean i i did eat meat and i don't remember really hating it i do remember hating turkey it was all stringy and mm. um but yeah, at some point it, it became so, yeah, and, and I don't know if that's sort of a learned behavior. I just, I associated it with with eating eating flesh. And mm. yeah, for me, it's like, yeah, I, I would find that, yeah, really hard to, to yeah. do. So I think I'd probably struggle because when I was younger, I didn't stop eating meat till I was in my early 20s. Any of it, I just didn't give it a thought. But I think that... Um, I remember being at my grand's and she would be making like stew and it, you know once I'd kind of sucked the gravy off and I'm chewing for like two, two hours later and I'm still chewing this thing and I just I never really liked mints and, and all these things that are made with cows I never had a stake in my life actually so maybe my, my husband who is uh omnivorous out the house he's vegan in the house that was a deal um and he says I'm missing a trick but like I just yeah the thought of it it wasn't a, of all the things that I did just to eat a lot of it was probably more salty food like gammon and bacon and all these kinds of things really highly processed stuff that was no good for me and I'm probably a candidate for diabetes and heart disease and all sorts of things um before I get too much older just because my diet when I was younger was so poor um yeah I think it's gonna be really interesting I don't know if you're um, research is going to look more into that but um, children that are, were raised vegan I mean I can imagine they will feel similar to me I was yeah I stopped eating meat it was about 13 mm. um, and already I um, have this sort of learnt repulsion I guess um, yeah I'm really curious to I'm hoping that daughter too, how she feels about meat when she gets a bit older the idea yeah. of it and it's interesting she came out of school really upset one day when there had been a big discussion about her being different um that had come up probably at lunchtime or something but um and I thought well, I'm gonna have to have the conversation because she's soon at the point where some autonomous you know autonomy is going to be important for her you know she needs to have a little bit of agency as we were speaking about earlier um and if she wants to do something differently then I need to maybe let that happen but discuss why and how and all that but anyway it turns out that she wasn't upset that she was vegan she was upset that everyone else wasn't so I thought that was kind of good. But again, that's about reason or knowing why, uh, like the, the the reasons behind the choices that I've made. And she understands her dad makes different choices when he's not at home. So, and I've said, you know, if you want to end up eating stuff similar to dad, then, you know, you just, we need to talk about, no, I don't want to eat animals, mommy, animals are our friends. And it's just as simple as that, you know, and especially now we've got a dog running about the house. I, I, that's that's another ethical discussion for another day because I'm not really into pet keeping either, but it's a rescue anyway. Um, all that even the word pet I don't like. So there's all these different things. So the 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 kids I'll be focusing on in my uh, research are are primary school aged children, so up to high school, but no older than that. At least initially, it might come to be that that I need to investigate a bit further. But I think it's going to be more about hopefully there are more kids that have been vegan since birth now than ever before. And I would like to focus on them, um, possibly about the why, the why they're vegan rather than, you know, do they understand why? Do they know what it means? Do you know what their alternatives are? 
um, are they, you know, how is it discussed? If it is discussed, I mean, there's bound to be in the same way as people just get fed, you know, a, a chippy every night. That It's not questioned, maybe. So I want to find out exactly what's going on for them and how it is to be vegan, not just at school, but just in life generally. That said, the last year and a bit of a lockdown have been a bit weird and there's not been that opportunity for kids to be out and mixing so much and discussing these kinds of things or feeling different. But there was one boy in her class who told her that if she ate cow's milk that she would be whiter, which has all sorts of other connotations. <laughs> oh so uh, that was an interesting discussion that day after school. Um, but yeah. I don't even remember what your question was. Sorry, Chris. Can I just go back to Michelle's point as well? Because I definitely want to address it on the podcast because people yeah. might be thinking that, you know, actually, what's the point of being vegan if it, if it is down to the number of animals are killed? Um, so basically, some of the references that will go into the podcast at the end, mm. um, three livestock production uses utilises three quarters of all agricultural land, um, a third of all cereal production. And the... Um, the United Nations and other leading um, bodies that are concerned with uh, climate change, for example, and biodiversity loss, say that due to livestock production, species loss is a, a species loss is one thousand times the usual background rate of species loss. So I, I have heard those kind of arguments before, but for example, and I'm sure people can get much better information by having a quick Google. Um, if you if you take one field of um, that is has to be cleared to raise food for a vegan, you're going to get more protein and you're going to feed more people than if you clear it for um, for livestock production. Seven seven gigatons of plant biomass is required to produce 0.26 gigatons of meat. So um, I just want to put that on the podcast for the pe for people out there to actually go and research that themselves yeah. and find that um, there's a lot of re refutation to that uh, claim, actually. Well, yeah. I think that what his point was is the, the accidental, that we only count the, you know, feeding the world. We only count the animals that we're not eating. We never think about the mm. animals that live on, on that farmland. I would they're, probably... still, they're still being cleared, though, aren't they, for yeah. the cows? So you're doing 1.8 yeah, billion well, plus way. 65 billion ruminants. Yeah, that's why he was saying the only way to yeah. really win it is to go um, do pasture forage and yeah. let the cows out in the field to graze for themselves. But, but that's what they're doing in the Amazon, and that's yeah. creating a massive problem. It's it, They're talking about by 2050, most of the Amazon might actually be gone. But one solution might be, and I wanted to ask um, you guys if you thought this was vegan, because I know there's a raging debate about this, what about in vitro and cultured meat? Mm. Do you consider that vegan? For example, although I probably wouldn't eat it myself now because I've decided to be vegan and maybe I would change my mind, but some people are very against the idea of cultured meat in vitro meat being vegan, even if it saves animals' lives, including the livestock and the rainforest, et cetera. What do you guys think about that? That goes back to that least harm principle again, doesn't it? If you know, if we can have one one genetic line of animals that then feeds millions of people and saves millions of, of other animals, you know, I suppose Singer yeah. would say, yeah, go for it. Yeah, Singer definitely <laughs> would. I haven't decided yet still. I'm still reading different views on it. My understanding is it still does need some cells from bovine cells in order to start the process. And to me, then that's still, um, it's still animal. 
you know, ultimately. But I think the biggest the biggest problem, I think it, if it makes people who would not consider veganism eat less factory farmed animal meat, it can't be bad. However, yeah, I don't think I would. Uh, but then I, I'll eat like a vegan burger. The ones that Chris would be like, oh, no, but... Uh, I recommend it to other people, though, I, you know, to say uh, try in vitro because rather than eat a... No, I just, I think, I think still that's, this still comes down to this idea that we somehow need it. I think that's still the problem. And that's where I think I find this ethically problematic. We we, we, we don't. There's there's more concentrated protein. Then there's kind of uh, contraindications if you eat certain proteins with, with calcium absorption. And there's all sorts of kind of nutritional... Um, elements to this too I don't know Brian I don't know if you're in, uh, convinced I, I would, I'm not convinced <laughs> of the argument yet. I wouldn't eat it myself mm. but I think we have to kind of like zoom out and really look at this movement as a timeline mm-hmm. and where I think we're really still in the beginning but we're seeing that turnover and yeah. I think all these steps are really really important to get us to a, a meat-free world which I think is good. That choice is going to be made for us, mm-hmm. um, for people. I don't think it's any, it's going to be voluntary. Um, you know, if we continue to, with the relationship we have with the environment right now, um, it'll be a, a choice made for us one day. Um, so I'm I hopeful think- for that. Yeah, that's good. It gives, me, <laughs> it gives me a lot of hope. Was there not a recent study saying that by 2040, they reckoned in vitro meat could be viable in terms of cost efficiency and, and whatnot? Uh, yeah, so, yeah. that would be great. I think I think it's a, an important step that needs to happen. Um, even when um, Burger King launched the Impossible Burger, um, I just I love going in. I'll get French fries. Um, sometimes I'll eat Impossible, um, and I love seeing just your average person in there. Just you see that green wrapper, and you know. Yeah. Um, I was in Puerto Rico last semester with a group of students. Um, and you know, that was one of the only places near the campus where we could really eat. Um, and you know, just, you know, especially with the machismo culture and just seeing so many green rappers in there, men, women, all different ages. Um, you know, it's just, it's like, wow, something's happening. (laughs) I think Um, that is that, yeah, it's a big shift. I mean, now by the time my daughter's a teenager, she's only seven now, but there's going to be a point at which they're all at high school. And then after school, they all went to go to McMurder or Kentucky Fried cruelty i'll say instead of anyway all those other other fast food joints are available but it means that she can go with them and have something that's fine for her but yeah i don't know um, i hadn't had another sorry sorry chris no so i was just going to jump in and say that I'm, I'm excited for the pet food industry or the potential for for do it following the the least harm principle and developing something for for the pet food industry so mm. I mean, we, we talk about humans and we're omnivores, meaning we can healthily have a wide range of different diets. We really don't don't need meat or animal products. Mm-hmm. Um, but some some of our companion animals too do. Um, and I'm particularly thinking of cats being obligate carnivores and yeah. um, a, a non-meat diet really is um, problematic. So, I mean, I'm not a vet. So, um, yeah, I, but I know that there's, there's been some research in this area that, that does sort of, and it is problematic. I, I, I'm not sure exactly how problematic, but I mean, I, I, I feed my cats meat. It's like, there's no, no question mm. um, at this point. Um, but I, I know, and I was actually just trying to look at the references and I, I, I'll put it in the, the, the chat afterwards. Um, but there has been um, research on the impact of companion animals on, on the environment. And, yeah. Um, 
yeah, the, the big negative impact. Um, so yeah, I see this as a potential way round from yeah. both. For sure. Oh, listen, I, I don't think anybody would disagree with, you know, if it's going to reduce harm, however you measure that, it's got to be good. Um, I suppose it's like as opposed to something else that you do that's also ethically thought through or what have you. I had a, a, a vegan dog um, and we're hoping to make our new puppy will be a veggie dog before too long. But at the moment, she's been fed all sorts of, um, I don't know what. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a wee process. But yeah. How do you, um, how do you uh, if you're feeding your dog a vegan diet, um, I mean, dogs much easier than cats, obviously. Yes, I don't have a cat. I'm, yeah, I have an intention but how do you meet the? Because I know dogs still still need, you know, um, what is it, methionine? You know that that is lacking in their diet. How are you handling these? Um, I, I'm not. Veggie pets are doing that for me. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm oh, not going to okay. pretend. Cause, I don't. Yeah, because that said, the the veggie dog I had, the vegan dog I had. I mean, he he would he just tuck into um, rice and tofu. And peas and carrots. I'm like, you can even sit and eat a carrot and he'd be like, give me, give me, give me, give me. And he was he was um super healthy. Um oh, okay. the vet was never worried about it. So whatever it was I was doing, but I also fed him complete dried food that was manufactured by someone else. So mm. probably um again, eco footprint wise, that wouldn't have been ideal. Yeah, because um, they do have that. I mean, they tend to get that dilated cardiomyopathy. We we saw that a lot in in veterinary world with dogs that ate a vegan diet. Hmm. um just because it's yeah they are they're lacking that um i, I do know the vet had some concerns um but then didn't seem to be too concerned after she saw him and, and he was still fine <laughs> but it is an interesting question i mean i've i've i mean i consider myself a vegan but the one well not one one of the problems that i think about a lot is feeding my cats um hmm. uh complete dry cat food but i am aware that i want to get away from that however i'm unable to do that at the moment um, and it is something that I'm going to look at when I um, move countries to somewhere where I'll be able to get um, probably vegan cat food. But mm. absolutely right, um, Michelle. It's it's something that, um, and again, it's it's something that you end up having to learn about because we're we're told about these things. We're told dogs can eat this and cats can't eat that, or cats can only eat this and they need this. And then when you start doing some research about many different things including allergies you find there's a lot a lots of things are told in different countries that actually have no basis in truth i'm not saying that cats are not obligate carnivores but when once you start looking into it you start to understand it more yourself and then you think okay now i know if if i do that that is going to affect my animal but but this i can change and it's not you know i can do a supplement or something it's just what um, we used to do here Sarah for for humans you know it's like oh you can't live without me there's literally yeah. people being you know they're suspected of of uh, child abuse for yeah. raising vegan children because they weren't giving them everything that they needed um yeah. but but you know there's there's plenty of people who who still don't give their animals and or humans the right diet whatever it is they're doing whether it's meat or yeah. not so well, yeah. the whole milk industry with, uh, you know, remember growing up how much milk was forced down our throats that it's the, the milk moustache adverts. Yeah, you have to drink milk. You have to drink milk. Yeah. It's so important. If you don't yeah. drink milk, you're going to get osteoporosis and die. I mean, there was this yeah. this push to normalize milk drinking, which yeah. really, you know. I don't think creepy. that's changed yet, Michelle, because there's still free milk in Scotland anyway for every, every, all the kids up to primary three. So oh, wow. 
standard. Um, so I, I I have a real issue with this, but there's no there's been some something happened this week last week I don't know we've had the rescue puppy it's all been chaos I've not caught up with all the news however um I do understand they're going to be um again getting back to equality law here and and inclusiveness there are going to be some plant-based options available certainly in Scotland um for children although sometimes they say it has to be a dietary requirement as in a medical dietary requirement rather than an ethical one, which to me um, is the problem. So these are all the things that are going to be part of the study in the future, certainly. Good. I, want, I wanted to ask you as well about, um, you, you're talking about obviously um, people, uh, parents um, and their views, that, and the child being brought up with their views, including um, veganism. Mm. But of course, um, Veganism affects the environment, as we were just discussing. Yeah. Are you going to get into that as well? Because I'm, I live somewhere where I live with, where lots of parents are, and I see them regularly. And um, obviously, I'm older than them, and it amazes me how much by not being, not looking at what they're eating, they are going to affect their own children's future, but don't seem to be considering it. And as you said, as you said before, you end up being the grumpy person if you try mm. to conversation so I avoid them yeah you know um is it something you're going to be looking at in that sense as well um I haven't quite got everything together quite yet for where where it'll go um I mean initially I'm, I'm going to be interviewing vegan parents about I mean actually the, the parents are likely to be vegan or vegan children although that's going to be ex exceptional especially for little kids um the reasons behind the veganism I think will be part of that if it is environmental then I would imagine. But yeah, you're right. And then we're back to that discussion again. Why did, Why are not all environmentalists vegan then? Um, it feels like it's something that should should just follow. But if you're, some people go vegan because of their health. And again, I think maybe the distinction between plant-based food diet and veganism maybe needs to be made a little bit clearer, yeah. whereas before yeah. it was one and the same. Um, but I do think there's been a split off from that. And people who are plant-based for health or plant-based for the environment um, there might be a little bit of a, a separation there for people that are plant-based, vegan for animals. I think it is a slightly different way of thinking, although everything I mean, it's all, it should, should be a more holistic thought process, shouldn't it? And especially right. with the climate crisis. Sorry. Right, sure. right. No, you're right, I think. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, that's why I really like this. Uh, I heard about the reducitarian movement, mm. uh, which I actually really like because I think, especially in the US, I don't know, how it is where you guys are, but there is a real um, sort of anger toward, toward vegans that, oh, she's a vegan, you know, oh, she's going to lecture me. Mm. And I think that this reducitarian movement has kind of taken that on and I'm um, trying to counteract that by saying, okay, we're not saying you have to be vegan. We're saying maybe, maybe you don't eat meat products before 6 p.m. You know, maybe you have meatless Monday, maybe you, and really sort of going at it from a, a, a more normalized, um, perspective that hey it's very normal not to eat meat during the day it's very normal not to do this rather than being this sort of um vision of the militant mm. uh, vegan but i one of the things that i like that they focus on is that you know because you're asking why are not all conservationists vegan mm. why are not all animal caregivers vegan well they're asking the question why are not people who are concerned about uh humans not vegan because think about what is one of the worst um, jobs? One, one of the most dangerous jobs in the U.S. especially is 
meat packaging plants. Mm -hmm. So if you're someone who's concerned about, especially people who are are living um, at a certain uh, wage level, you really need to be cutting down your meat consumption because you're endangering humans. Yeah, I totally agree, Michelle. And and I suppose I would, I would, it's not just about environmentalists, but anybody involved in social justice, right? The two go hand in hand, whether it's poor wages, whether it's conditions of employment, uh, the McGlybel suit is kind of maybe the most famous version of that but I mean that's that's the tip of the iceberg yeah there's people really um people working in tanneries and not we're not even talking about meat necessarily but people working in tanneries for the leather industry really dangerous dangerous stuff mm-hmm. for sure yeah no I I just feel like if we viewed it's, it's maybe a little bit um utopian and I was talking to somebody else about that recently but it should all just be the one thing shouldn't it the one planet with people on it where um uh, the Amazon rainforest on it with non-human animals on it or other than human animals on it. This is all, we, we all have to rely on each other. But um, I think I think it's the kind of individualistic um, way that many cultures have become that create this problem where, well, I'm all right, I'm fine. And uh, I'm not even thinking about their own future generations. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And then when it comes back to that other question, reduced sectarianism to me is, is not enough. It's nowhere near enough, but it's something. So, you know, if somebody says, well, you know, I'm, I'm mostly vegan or mostly vegetarian, but it's like, okay, well, you're doing better, more than most people are doing. So that's a great start. And rather than going, well, that's not enough. It's better to say, I mean, I think it's not enough. I think more needs to be done for that person, but at least they've started a journey. Um, I'm an abolitionist. I just think everybody should quit everything that's got anything to do with any kind of harm to anything ideally but then i go out in my car fossil fuels blah blah, blah right so we can't be <laughs> i think that's important to bring up though because right. you know something i always think about is <clears throat> you know the, the the other products i buy that aren't food right so i try to buy everything that's not tested on animals i'm trying mm-hmm. to reduce my plastic um you know i wish i had an ev um rather than a gasoline car Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just tough, you know, and I think about my clothes is really a place where I play ignorant, um, where my clothes come from and who makes my clothes and the conditions yeah. of the people who make my clothes. And it's really, it's so overwhelming that I've just yeah. blocked it out, you know, yeah. and I, I, it's, it's a, it's something I struggle with for sure. When we mm-hmm. think about like, cause I agree, we should be taking this holistic approach. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm far from perfect when it comes to Yeah. I just, I just think if, if everyone did something. There's lots of people doing nothing, right? So if everyone does what they can, and then that demand is created, as has happened now, that you can go into Burger King and get, I mean, I've never been in, so I don't know, but you can get these things. So this is great, right? This is the start of a process. And I do think, I never thought it would be in within my lifetime, but I think it might be. Mm-hmm. If not mine, with my daughter's lifetime, where you're right, the choice will just be made. It'll not be one that we consciously, because more and more people, especially younger people, younger people really care about the planet, Greta Thunberg and all that's kind of, that movement that's kind of grown up from that. It's fantastic. And you can't really, even David Attenborough, Sir David Attenborough is talking about eating less or no meat, right? If nobody's going to listen to, like Dave, man, nobody's going to listen to anyone, right? So these (laughs) things are so important. Um, Yeah, I have, I have, I have, I mean, yeah, I I don't, I don't buy organic vegetables all the time because you've got, Again, I've prioritised my list, right? So I've got animal rights, veganism, stuff at the top. Um, Organic, fair trade kind of, you know, depends on the product. And and again, it's sometimes down to price, but maybe that's just about things becoming more viable, which means about demand, supply and demand, basic economics. It'll get there in in the end, I really do think so. 
but there needs you know the shift the shift is gradual perhaps I think that is soon too soon enough for me but that's just me being impatient that's all sorry Sarah I think Brian's got a good point about labelling because mm. when, I mean, obviously all five of us do have some kind of consideration of what of our effect, effect on the planet yeah. um, and on animals. Um, but sometimes, as you say, it's, it's just you need to have something, you need to buy something quickly. And, and unless you've researched it before or you're on your phone going, how environmentally friendly this or how, how uh, is this fair trade or whatever, sometimes you just go, oh, I, just, I just need to get that. So sometimes we're making decisions because we're not being informed in the shops. And I think that absolutely needs to start happening. I, I saw um, something the other day about a lady um, Sometimes I have a quick look at the Daily Mail, see what's going on in. <laughs> oh, you don't say that. I do like to have a look. And uh, there was a lady who was, uh, she'd taken all the plastics off at Aldi. She'd taken all the plastics off all the goods and left them with the, uh, the, 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 the lady, the, well, the lady, the, the, I can't think of the word, the person, the checkout person. Right. And uh, obviously, the, then you can go to the comments in the Daily Mail and see, you know, how people are commenting and stuff like that. Some people are really against it. And some people are like, yeah, you know, really for it. And I think a lot of that stuff, we, you know, we need to start telling um, people who are selling us things, this is what we want. This is yeah. what, the, and, and also governments need to start listening about informing us. If they, for example, um, if they want us to have reduced climate um anything that um, affects the climate, then we need to be informed that if you buy this product, this is going to affect the climate by this much, not the number of CO2, amount of CO2, because who understands that? But maybe we can have so many footprint points a day or something yeah. along those lines. And this is like 15 footprint points. Or so instead of Weight Watchers, it's like Planet Watchers. Yeah, watchers. Yeah. Oh, exactly. man, you know, we're on it. We, we, oops, I've just pulled my video out. Sorry about that. <laughs> So <laughs> There's also a giant bumblebee trying to get out of my uh, my window here. So excuse me a moment. Yeah, no uh, well, I know that as we've been talking in classes uh, about plastics, you know, microplastics, Brian. I've really tried to switch over to going back to because all my clothes used to be cotton because I'm very sensitive to everything. Um, I don't like seams. I don't like tags, and so I used to have all these cotton clothes. And um, it became harder and harder to find them, and I gave up. And so, after we've been teaching about plastic crisis, I've been trying to transfer back to all cotton clothes. It is almost impossible. Um, you know, Brian and I are in Central Florida, which is Central Florida. Central Florida. Um, <laughs> so, not exactly the most um, environmentally friendly part of the world, anyway. Um, but yeah, I cannot find all cotton shirts. Um, unless, you know, I, I go order them online and then they, you know, don't fit or they don't. I mean, so it's just, again, back to your labeling. It is, yeah. I, mean, I have to look through a hundred shirts to find one that's, that's all cotton. Yeah. Um, I think one of the, the problem is marketers, they, they, they capitalize on this, right? They, they recognize that you want environmentally friendly or, or animal friendly products. So they, they put it on their labeling because they know that's what people want. And that's a little bit what my, my paper looks at with the happy, the happy hen. Mm -hmm. So they recognize that people don't want, they want ethically produced eggs. They want, they want to believe that the, the hens were free ranged and lived a happy life. So they put these little happy hens on the, the egg boxes and images of, sort of ide idealized landscapes with the, the farmer sitting with, with his hen. And um, so 
people people want this they look for these labels but they they also want to be easily um yeah easily um their conscience to be solved yeah yeah so sort of a double-edged sword you sort of you you demand these products and the um the producers sort of try and woo you in our ads is more animal friendly blah 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 so it's like it's it's, it's almost impossible to sort of <laughs> yeah driving yourself crazy with <laughs> i know yeah, you, being, yeah. sorry brian uh i was just gonna say being a conscious consumer is like a full-time job mm. you have to do yes. research um, finding the products, you know, and even Michelle looking for cotton shirts. So if you get the cotton shirts, right, to reduce the microplastics, or where are they coming from? Where are they being right. shipped from? Um, you know, are they being grown? <laughs> right. Um, you know, Target right now has some really great products. I'm, I have paper um, deodorant. Um, they have laundry detergent coming in boxes now. Um, but is supporting Target really great for the environment? Should I be supporting these products? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we have to worry about who owns some of these, you know, mm -hmm. eco-friendly companies. What is their, right. who's their, you know, parent company? Uh, mm -hmm. What are those connections? And some days, you know, I'm researching, trying to find like a good mm -hmm. eco-friendly toothpaste right now. I don't really like Bite. It's one of the biggest ones here. Um, and it's just, it's a full-time job. And I just it give is. up sometimes because I'm like, yeah, all right, I'll do this again another day. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I tell the students too, as we're talking about environmental impact, I will mention cruelty-free products as we're talking about like coral safe sunscreens. And I will mention cruelty-free products. And, and I'm just amazed at the blank stares that nobody has thought through the cosmetics. And mm -hmm. um, I'll give a plug to a really great, a uh, really great website called Cruelty Free Kitty. If you go to Cruelty Free Kitty, they list uh, products, um, vegan products, vegetarian products, cruelty free products, um, and just the different levels. Because this one might be labeled as, you know, not animal tested, but it's sold in China. So it has to be tested on animals there. And it might be, you know, so makes it a lot easier because we are lazy consumers. You know, we, we don't want to have to think too hard. So if we have a list, these are the items I can buy. Somebody else has done the work. I think we're a whole lot more likely to. Yeah. Apparently China's just stopped that. Apparently China's just oh, stopped the requirements. Um, somebody yeah. messaged me the other the other week. I don't know if you guys know more about that. I heard that in a, a couple of days yeah. ago. Is it China per, uh, completely or is it just some of the companies that sell out of China? It, uh, somebody I, I, just fleetingly sent it to yeah, me. I had a quick look and I haven't looked at, into it yeah. any further. But then, I mean, it's, then it's like, you know, well, this this company, other than their sales in China, so do they just not sell in China or, but, oh, just... It is impossible to be yeah. vegan, uh, you know, non-animal tested, vegan, cruelty-free, organic, uh, fair trade, um, environmental, ecological, blah, 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 right? There, you, there's going to have to be some, and that's maybe where everybody sits on a different sliding scale, but a lot of people aren't even looking at the scale. And those are right. the people I feel that are the, 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 the most important to target, right? Target. I wonder if they're the happiest, though. Because I don't know if you're oh, like, yeah, that, ignorance, yeah. so overwhelmed by how much how much is happening out there, and ignorance, and I, right. I sometimes think, is it just better to know nothing and get on with your life? Of course, it's not for other the consequences for other beings, but and other humans. Know, though, but, there is something to be said though for you know, had I not ever seen that leaflet, might my life and my life would be very right. different. That's for sure, for sure. I was. I wonder with the students. You know, I I feel a bit of guilt sometimes introducing the fact that they should be yeah. thinking about these these things am i then making their lives you know more challenging and more um that's your job to create critical thinkers i know Michelle. it is oh, really good. i i did <laughs> want to ask brian really fast what do you think about i because you're uh this i'm sure the students know you're vegan 
Um, I'm wondering if you have a lot of students that approach you and ask you, you know, hey, how do you, how do I become a vegan? Is there a lot of um, young people interest in this? Um, I've had a few. I wouldn't say it's a lot of our students, but they are certainly grateful for being shared uh, the information that we do share. Right. They're like, I had no idea. Thank you. Thank you for telling me this. So I think that's really important, especially, um, you know, when we think about the youth, um, you know, and I think this, you know, young people today are just incredible. They have faced things that are just astronomical. They're curious. They're informed. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, when I'm an old geezer, what <laughs> they have going on, because I, I'm really, really hopeful for that. Yeah. I agree. I mean, in the last couple of years, I've I actually, you know, I used to, I'd make no no bones about the fact I'm vegan. I use it in a lot of teaching, actually, just, you know, in terms of norms and values, sociology lends itself to that. But actually, the last couple of years, there's been vegans already in class. You know, that they, they, they just already are not not the majority by any stretch of the imagination but but it's a notable shift and that's been for a variety of different reasons through their lives but you're talking 17 18 year olds that are yeah. you know maybe been part of seeing this shift in consciousness over the last five years i would say probably more than anything so it's great i have great hope for the future i'm, I'm gonna definitely um hope whether it's in vitro meat whether it's just people realizing that if you like you know if you take your kids to the the farm on Easter Sunday, the city farm, and get them to feed the lambs. Don't then feed them lamb for Easter Sunday dinner, right? Stuff like that. Got to, but again, it's just connections. It's infor- information, whether it's labeling on products, Sarah, or whatever it has. We, we, but that's maybe our job, you know, the those of us that have had a shift in conscious to just try and keep that momentum moving. But it's definitely moving in the right direction. And I think it goes back to what Michelle was saying. And you said feeling a bit guilty, and then you said, and you said, no, it's your job to make people think critically um i don't know if you um if you found it um but i've found that um there's sometimes um some blaming of generations of why we're uh, in the, the world state we're in and it's all that i i often think well look i've been vegetarian for like so many years and i've been trying and i've been telling people and mm. and but you're still lumbered as one of the generations that is you know that is responsible and people that are saying it sometimes are people who are not vegan and they're not environmentally friendly. Yeah, but, and I, I don't know how you guys challenge that because I, I, I just sometimes I'm, I'm like dumbfounded with that. I challenge them with their environmental waste at their electronic waste in that, you know, when they say things about older generations, I say, yeah, and we, you know, older generations, we're not going through a TV every Two years. They weren't going through 17 phones by the time they were 17. They weren't going through, you know, so I try to really wake them up as, uh-huh. as far as the, that it isn't that this generation did that and this generation's doing this. It's that you have to take responsibility yeah. for the things that, that you personally are doing. Yeah, there was a lot more, uh, a lot less waste in previous generations, wasn't there? And uh-huh. actually, I mean, my gran would have known how to catch and kill and pluck mm-hmm. and stuff a chicken or something she would have known that because mm-hmm. things were a little bit more different I don't I mean I guess uh, capitalism has got a lot to, to answer for but yeah it was a different different kind of time but then you know the vegan site is nearly 80 years old there's been people talking about this for for a long long time Um also though we have a yeah they, they, it's great if they want to challenge but they need to also be willing to be challenged I think don't they and I kind of think if people just focused a bit more on themselves and what they can do uh, rather than criticizing what others are not doing 
because no nobody's perfect and yeah we we can just we should just focus more on our own sort of faults and what we can do rather I think yeah mm. it's, it's mostly destructive when you you sort of criticize people for for eating meat or mm. uh, just whatever yeah it does it doesn't resolve anything you're absolutely right but yeah I mean yeah, when I was out shouting every Saturday and you know going out and leafleting people and being all you know, you know Mrs. Angry, it didn't probably change a few of minds through the leaflets or whatever. But my my behaviour didn't really resolve anything. But you can understand it's the same as the people who are out picketing our campaign and just now some of them are really angry. It starts today, making people think, doesn't it? Though I mm. mean, it might not be that particular moment, mm. but then you're one of thirty people that they've listened right. to. So they might forget that it's you specifically. Yeah, but just but they go, why, why are people shouting about this? Why are right. people saying these things? Right. It's the same as as any social mo- movement. You think about the Black Lives Matter movement now. It's, you know that anti-racism has been around as long as there's been racism, right? It's just because goes without saying, but. Yeah, and I think it's just a, a shift, a shift in, in awareness, maybe. And you're right, yeah, maybe people don't change right there and then, but maybe ultimately they will at some point. Yeah, it doesn't mean you shouldn't try the way. Exactly. I think yeah. we need we need all of the approaches. I, I don't think any approach is wrong. You know, I, I, I'm teaching a policy and advocacy class this semester, and I'm trying to really enforce that because a lot of our students like to criticize PETA. Are they perfect? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Do they have a role to play? 100%. Yeah. Mm. we need people shouting we need people screaming and yelling and we need people that are angry but we Mm. also need people that are intimate and calm and you know taking that educational approach and we just need it all we need it all it's like yeah it's like any social justice movement though even we're talking about that we're talking about the suffragette suffragette movement right or the women's rights movement rather you had the suffragettes you have these but you have you know and then you also had people working with policymakers um, and amongst all very quietly um, so yeah, so because people are different and people respond to different things, so yeah, as long as we're all doing something, we'll get there. I'm fairly sure. I'm positive. <laughs> so Brian, you were saying that you think the decision will be made for us. What what do you envision envision then? Um, I just think you know, losing out on those resources and, and, you know, maybe we've reached that tipping point where it's really hard to kind of turn back the time and the availability of resources and who controls resources. And uh, I think that's, what's going to, that's where the choice is going to be made. There's just not going to be those, those resources available. So do you think it will be political or apocalyptic? (laughs) I'm a huge sci-fi nerd. So I always lean towards that apocalyptic, but in reality, I think it'll be very political. I do think it'll be very political. Everything's political anyway, isn't it? (laughs) All right. So, yeah, that's a good place to end. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye, wave.